As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome in. It's Monday, October 5th, 2020. This is the Hold That Podcast podcast, the podcast where we talk all about LSU football. It is week two of this wild pandemic season. LSU bounces back with a big win. That is my baby, Odette. She's about six months old. She'll be joining us for today's pod. I'm your host, T-Bob Bear. I'm joined every week by my co-host, Brody Miller. Brody, what's up, dude? Not too much, man. Uh, enjoyed my well i'm not even sure if enjoyed is the right word but experienced my first lsu game day saturday just like watching it from home which was a uh, a bizarre experience but also a glorious one because i got to yep. watch like a pretty awesome college football saturday in my office all day so there were pros and cons but it was weird so yeah i've basically been in this office for like 72 straight hours watching football uh, yeah, man. Look, I, I I know the feeling. So Brody watches so much football because he writes for The Athletic. Huh, how about that? This is an athletic podcast. So if you want to sign up for the best sports writing site out there, it's at The Athletic. Theathletic.com slash hold that podcast. Theathletic.com slash hold that podcast. You will get... Uh, $1 a month. There's a $1 a month sign-up deal going on right now. Take full advantage. No ads, no BS, all your favorite writers. It's awesome. Um, okay, so, Brody, let's go ahead and dive into this week's show then. Uh, LSU bounces back. They beat Vanderbilt on the road. She was the final score, like 42-7? 41-7. 41-7, okay. Final score of 41-7. Um, a lot to break down here. Before we dive into it, for these style of games, I like to preface the conversation with something like this, which is that I understand that it is Vanderbilt, and I don't feel like having to add that context for every single take that we have, because obviously there's going to be a lot of positives to discuss from today. So here at the onset, just understand that it is Vanderbilt, yeah. understand that there are much greater tests to come. And uh, also understand, though, that the fact that it is Vanderbilt does not take away all of the success either, right? So we want to still critique. We still want to acknowledge the good and just grade it on a curve. Not too much of a curve, but grade it on a bit of a curve because it is Vandy. Uh, Okay, Brody, I'll let you go first. LSU wins Saturday. Uh, What do you think was kind of the main story or the main thing that you took away from that game? Yeah, and I think your preface was perfect because – 
it, it you know they won convincingly and it, it your my review is primarily positive and my review is primarily that you look at all of the things that were the biggest issues last Saturday at Mississippi, against Mississippi State, and I would say just about every one of those was at least addressed, right? Miles Brennan looked infinitely more comfortable in the pocket. The secondary with Derek Stingley back was way better. Offensive line didn't even let Brennan pretty much get touched all day and allowed zero sacks. They gave up a little bit of rushing yards in the first half. Well, then Bo Pelini's defense made some slight adjustments and basically shut down the run in the second. So if you view it from that point of view – that's a win because you had like all these things that people were ready to burn down Tiger Stadium for after week one, and I understand the anger. They actually improved all of those things, in my opinion. So that's a win. On top of that, though, I mean, I'll just say there was some rustiness in this game. And I and I and to go with your original preface, I like to always sit, like in games like this clarify that I'm actually not going to judge little rustiness too hard because it is Vanderbilt. It is probably hard to get up for that game. It is. You know, you're up 30 sometimes. Am I really going to judge a missed tackle too hard there? You know, like we had to have this conversation every week last year, I feel like. But in the first half, like they actually got away with a lot of errors. And and maybe that's just part of football. But like there were a few plays where like basically they got bailed out on what should have been like a 50-yard play because of a drop pass or a bad throw. You know, there was some sloppiness in there. So overall positive review that they actually just look sincerely improved. But I do still think this is a team with... You know, quite a bit of issues. Not issues, but things to handle. Yeah, I think that that's. Uh, I, I think that's a really good point about directly confronting a lot of the mistakes. That's probably the greatest thing that could be said here. And so, before we get into that sloppiness, um, let's dive into some of those positives. And, yeah. and in terms of that being your biggest takeaway, um, I think nobody embodied that more. Right, fixing the mistakes you wanted them to fix. Nobody embodied that more uh, than Miles Brennan yep. this game. Uh, the main critiques about Brennan coming out of last Saturday was that he looked indecisive. He looked timid. Um, one of my biggest issues was his pocket presence, right? A few times he ran into pressure. He had no trust of the pocket or his interior line, even it was when, when it was there. And even though, like, look, on the interception, uh, it, the footwork was a bit of an issue. He got a little too step-uppy in the pocket, but... Really, for the most part tonight, um, or, or Saturday night, I, I thought he looked excellent. He, he was getting the ball out quickly in rhythm when he was hitting his back foot. Uh, his decision-making was solid. Um, and, and the main thing is he did fully trust that pocket. I'm, I'm putting together a film reel right now that I'm going to put out later. Ooh. Where, um, Yeah, I'm trying to find ways around the copyright laws. I'm wondering if I make a burner Twitter and then just tweet video from the burner? Like, yeah. will that get, you know? I, I don't know. We'll find That's out. safe move. I, I, like, I like where your head's at. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad you didn't just admit your crime on the podcast. <laughs> I mean, dude, well, I don't know, though. Is it a crime? Fair use? If I'm if I'm adding crime, my no. own a- analytic, if I'm adding my own analysis to it? I don't know. Point yeah. being, um, Brennan had multiple plays where uh, when he was under pressure, instead of panicking and running to the outside into pressure, he stepped up, he sidestepped, kept his eyes downfield, still delivered a strike. Uh, So really, I I thought that Miles Brennan directly fixed what he needed to, and I think a lot of that went back to a much better offensive game plan from the coaches. Brody, you did a fantastic breakdown in The Athletic last week where you looked at – First down play calling from a run pass uh, uh, type, type of standpoint. And it clearly showed you also went into like the play action numbers and just the sheer amount of runs versus passes. And it clearly 
laid out that they needed to run the ball. They needed to take some pressure off of Miles. They needed to give him some easy throws early on or just some runs on first down to set him up in second and manageable. And lo and behold, that's exactly what they did this game. And the benefits were, you know, readily apparent for all to see. Yeah, I think you actually covered quite a bit of it there. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I mean, the I think the big thing was, I mean, it was actually kind of funny. You know, that was the big topic last week was that he just didn't look comfortable in the pocket. And I think it was a very valid criticism. And that can go both ways. That really can. You could totally to see that and be like, what? You know, that might just be one of those traits you just have or you don't. I don't think you'd be wrong for wondering that. And it also could totally be the kind of thing where it's like, hey, it's a guy literally making his first start in a football game, period, in three no four years four years of his life he hasn't started a football game let alone sec so you know i I, it could have gone either way and just based on the record i actually normally think it's the former like i actually normally think guys like that just can't get it right and so that's why i was kind of shocked to see the improvement like just week to week yeah, I, I'm glad you said that because I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. So, and of course it's Vanderbilt. So, I, I my rule like I've actually written this in like I think all three stories I wrote last week. I just keep trying to get home. Like I am not making any declarations. Context that, king. Context king. No, 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 not even that. I'm. It's it's more of a cowardly king. Um, I am not making any declarative statements on this football team or honestly like any football team in college football. Until about week four. For LSU, that's the okay. Florida game. So that's okay, like- I get it, Brody. I get it. Dude, you're becoming more of a homer every day. You, we're on the same page. <laughs> this is an asterisk season. Uh, so if Alabama wins the no. Natty, it doesn't count. I Stop agree. It. We're not yeah. even doing that. We're not. I'm not going to let you. Side note, we're gonna- Brody Miller. We're going to get to that in the last segment, but Alabama looks like world beaters right now. Um, Chill out, dude. <laughs> anyway, no. My thing is, like, one, yes, it's a pandemic season, so I think, and there's just a weird camp, so I don't think you can judge anyone that harshly. And two, for LSU specifically, it's just so new. I'm not judging until the Florida game week four, like, in a strong way. But still, in an SEC game, had just a complete turnaround in comfortability and confidence and just, you know, accuracy even things like that like he just looked like a better more in command quarterback week too so you have to give credit there considering how rough that looked week one and then you got to my eventual point about the game plan which is i mean it's something they were aware of right away it seems like that week one they basically went extremely pass heavy i want to say it was like 70 30 maybe more than that 75 25 and i mean they were and there was passing on first down which I'm not even criticizing that because I think almost any smart analytic football person absolutely thinks running on first down is like an outdated thing to do in football now. So I'm not even like well, criticizing, but but, but, but hey, no, 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 let me finish. But like, okay. I think football is a very, you know, there's no right or wrong. There's, I mean, you have to just judge by what your system is and who you have and what your strengths are. And I think this with a yeah, new like if you have Russell Wilson and Joe Burrow, yes. like hell yeah, throw it every yes. freaking down, let him cook. The joke I kept making last week is like Miles isn't quite ready to be a head chef. He's like a line chef right now. He is. Just let so him focus fine. on the soup, and he'll be you know it'll be some damn good soup eventually. No, I actually love that analogy. Yeah. So, and I think you know you look at this team and something Ed Ogeron's been saying, and you and I kind of really were curious about, and we actually went on a long thing about it about three weeks ago about like will this be more of a run heavy team than we thought? And I think we're wrong about that. I don't think it's ever going to be run heavy. No. But you saw literally in the first half of that game. I mean, to the second half of week one, they started running the ball on first down more. They started committing to it more, going to it three times in a row. It's not even that the run game had to be dominant. I think it ran for like four and a half yards per carry that second half of last week. But it was about the fact that it put them in more manageable downs and distances. Had well, the you offense- took out the sacks last week, weren't they around like five yards a carry or something? No, I think with sacks removed, it was like 4.5 or something like okay, that. Okay, okay, okay. Still, no, it's good. Um, 
And it, but it wasn't about it wasn't about the the rushing ability. It was about what it did for the whole offense. One, it makes the defense trust you. I mean, you have to respect you more and play more honest. And you saw that a lot Saturday. But two, it just it gets Brennan more comfortable. The offense is flowing, and he's not in these awkward second and tens and third and tens, which was constantly the case week one. And yeah, the average down and distance for third down, even though yep. it's still like their third down conversion rate has to improve. If they're going to win big games, but um, it was third and six this game, which that's a good place to exist in. Yeah, it went from like, third and like seven point seven to, to yeah. like third and six point one, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a lot, you know. And that's, that's, that's a massive difference. Yeah, so that I mean, I think that makes a huge difference. It made everyone look more comfortable. So you, you combine those things, and plus Saturday the running game just looked flat out good. You know, John Emery, which we'll get to, looked like a star. Yep. So I think everything looked more comfortable, but at the end of the day, and also wait, I want I want to make I also make sure I do this. Offensive line looked fantastic, which yes. I know it's Vanderbilt, but Ed Ogeron had even said like the defensive line was like the only thing they were really not only you know what I mean, but like one of the main areas they were really respecting, and that they were kind of like a little worried about Vandy's you know D line with their offensive line missing Dare Rosenthal at left tackle and all that, and they looked fantastic, and they didn't even allow him to get hit. So everything did yeah, come I, together. I have it right here in my film breakdown. All Offensive line up, dominated, baby. line of scrimmage consistently surging. The combo blocks were excellent all night. Uh-oh, what's going on? You okay, girl? Uh, great holes for the backs all night. I think she was upset we didn't mention Terrace Marshall. <laughs> Offensive line dominated, constantly surging the O-line. Combo blocks were really good. Uh, Emory also made the right reads. and it, it, Yes, the offensive line played great. Yeah, I mean, and honestly, here's what I'll take as a victory in, you know, Cam Wire. I mean, I'm not saying, like, I'd rather see him against, you know, a Florida outside linebacker or something. But you and I, I think we're both very understandably. I mean, I've always said I actually like the starting five of this O-line. I think it's pretty darn good. I worried if anyone goes down, which they will, what happens? Because I really didn't know who what would happen if Dare Rosenthal would ever miss a game, which we just saw. And Cam Wire kind of proved me wrong a little bit and looks like you can at least trust him. He can be your Bedara or you know, and be that third swing tackle if it comes to it. And then and then you also wonder, I mean, Ed Ingram's questionable this week, and I have no idea what his – I'm not that confident he's going to play this week. So then you wonder, like, Marlon Martinez, the true freshman, was the one who rolled in on Saturday when he went down and – but I don't know what they want to do because, for example, I mean, Ed Ogeron made a comment, you know, just about an hour ago in his press conference, like, I think he was kidding, but I don't know. And he was like, you know, Joseph Evans would be starting a guard for us. And so I, it's like, is Joseph Evans going to switch positions for the fourth time in like seven weeks? It's I don't think you have to rule it out because they do have such depth issues there. So, but anyway, that, that's a long tangent. But yeah, I think I, I just came away from that a little more trusting in that depth because Cam Wire did step up. The O-line looked good, and it's a position that, how many times do I have to say this? It's going to get better. You need continuity. You need guys together every week, especially for a guy like Liam Shanahan who's just playing a new position. So I know it's probably not the exciting thing to talk about, but I think that's a huge step forward for them. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We are back. Uh, the the inevitable did happen. I ended up having to put my daughter to sleep, but we're good. She is now sleeping. Um, we are rested up and we are ready to resume this podcast. Brody, you just gave a break a great breakdown of the offense. I think there's a couple more things that we still need to hit on. Um, if I did want to circle, so I, I have two MVPs for this game, right? One uh, A is Miles Brennan, simply because of the expectation that he had on him. One B, and I know a lot of people have him as one A, and I get that too, is John Emery. Uh, so we'll get to Emery, but real quick on Brennan, we mentioned his footwork in the pocket. That was excellent. Some other things that I loved um, on that flea flicker, he knew that he was going to get lit up, uh, like it was obvious, and then sure enough. He released the ball, and he got double-teamed hard. Like, one guy, it was almost like a Dudley boy slam. Like, one guy sent him up, the other one takes out the top. Uh, but 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 knowing that, he, he stood there, and I, I guess this resonates with me because as my, my old man growing up, talking about quarterback play, always talked about accuracy, decision-making. But then the other thing that he just always talked about is the ability, the nuts, to know that you're going to get fucked up and to just stand there and make the throw anyway. And it was a beautiful deep ball to John Trey Kirkland. Just, I mean, dropped in the bucket in the very back of the end zone. And, uh, and sure enough, he got lit up. So, uh, you know, there are a lot of toughness questions. I like that. And then one other thing that I saw that I really enjoyed is on the end zone view of the Terrace Marshall second touchdown. Like, they, they cut to that end zone view. No sky cam in this game, which is sort of disappointing, but whatever. Um, you can see him to open up that post route for Marshall. You can see him hold the safety with his eyes. And that didn't seem like something that he was doing like at all last week or was not ready for. And so I really like that. He kind of, he, he's looking at the safety on the right side of the field there in cover two and he's staring at him, staring at him. And then you see his head snap to Marshall and the ball immediately comes out. Sure enough. Middle of the field's wide open, touchdown. So great improvement, Miles Brennan. Now let's talk about John Emery. Uh, what did you see out of number four? The, I mean, the funny thing is it's not even about seeing anything different from him, right? Because it's not like there was like a thing you looked at him and you're like, he needs to like improve as a runner. Like when he got the ball last year, which was rare for good reasons, he always had, like, he showed you in the, like, whatever, 30 touches he had last year that he could make guys miss and that he is such a natural ball carrier. That was always there. It was the other stuff, right? It was like, one, can they trust him with, like, a from an IQ point of view in the playbook? Can he block was the number one thing in pass protection. Can he catch the ball because he had messed up eyesight, which, as I've written about, has been fixed through LASIK over the, over the year. I just think there was a lot of work ethic stuff. All these, And also the last thing, which O really cares about, which is, can he protect the ball, which he didn't really do last year either. He fumbled a good amount. So, yeah, I mean, so a lot of the things that he improved aren't things that we're necessarily going to like pay attention to when you're out there. But still, it all came together, and he just looked like the five-star back that we all 
our ignorant asses kind of thought he'd come in and like take the job day one freshman year. I mean, and that didn't work out that way, but that's college football. But I mean, he looked like, and by the way, I still don't think it's going to be like John Emery's the starter. I really don't. I think it's a hot hand offense, going to be different guys every week. And I, I still think Curry's going to be the technical starter and all that. But he looked like that star. He looked like a guy who can be a game changer, a guy who will probably play in the NFL in two years. You know, he the, his ability to make guys miss is, is pretty ridiculous. And like I said, even last year, he was making the first guy miss often. It was just the rest of the stuff you flat out couldn't trust. And he caught three passes thrown to him, which, again, with the eyesight, actually really does matter. So, yeah, I mean, he looks like a guy who has just holy crap potential on him. Yeah, he was, um, he, he was excellent. And uh, there is something, so I agree with you, nothing new in his running style, just except for success and refinement. I mean, he was super dynamic. Um, he looked like the most, even though buried in it, Tyron Davis-Price actually had a couple really nice plays as well, a couple really nice runs that featured their own broken tackles. Yeah, he looked fine. But my main takeaway from Emery uh, was something else you referenced, the pass protection. The pass protection was really good, both in recognition and execution. Um, that same second Marshall touchdown that I was just talking about where Miles looks off the safety, it, it, it's a play action. And on it, uh, they have, which I hate this, but, they, but it makes sense, I guess, with the running back kind of as a safety valve. They have Torrey Carter one-on-one in a pass blocking situation. Um, Carter gets beat very quickly. Uh, Emery goes from faking the handoff to then an immediate great cut block, which if you go watch, gives Brennan just enough time to allow that post route to develop, and then next thing you know, it's a touchdown. Like, if Emory doesn't make that block, that's not a score. Uh, he had another one that stood out to me where it was a blitz pickup, and the cut block was just beautifully executed, hit the dude right in the thigh. One thing about cuts is a lot of people aim too low, right? You aim for the knee, you hit the shin. You aim for the waist, you hit the thigh. It was beautiful, beautifully executed. And why that's so important is because now he can be that true second and third down back. Yeah, and, that's very and, true. And, and it's feeling like, you know, maybe first down it's a mixture of Curry and TDP, but then second and third down maybe it does become the John Emery show. It, and then you keep everybody fresh into late in the game. And if one of the other guys has the hot hand that game, well, then you can go to him as well. But uh, certainly a lot of the, you know, we, we've talked about ceilings a lot with John Emery and how, you know, the, 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 the stereotypes, like uh, the cliche became like, you know, his ceiling is the highest of the group. Uh, <laughs> you finally saw that for the first time, I think, on, on Saturday. Yeah, so and the running back room felt very good. Yeah, no, and I mean, I'm glad you actually even like paid as much attention as you did to the pass protection stuff because that is the big part of his story. And I mean, like, I don't even know if a lot of like fans know this, but like, he, I mean, granted, Clyde was always the starter, but he literally got like pulled from a game at one point in October last season because he just like screwed up a block once or twice in a game. I believe got Joe rocked, and like they basically like demanded like they just pulled him from the game even though he's supposed to get a chance. Like he couldn't do a lot of that stuff that's just a fact I mean his dad even John Emery Sr. who is always great to talk to because he obviously he tells it like it is to say the least and he even said he was like the hardest thing for him to pick up and people think it's so simple is how to block and he's like you have this 250 pound man coming at you full speed and you've got a coach telling you like buckle down buckle down and, and he's like buckle down that's a grown man you know and 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 to build on that one thing Ed Ogeron even said post game Saturday which got a bit of a laugh but it's true was he was like 
He's like, hey, I went up to John Saturday, like today before the game, and I'm like, you finally got a chest on you because, I mean, he was a superstar talent, but he was a slender running back. You know, I mean, it's not that uncommon yeah. or anything. And he's gained a ton of weight. I talked to his mom uh, Sunday, and she was like, he looks like a big old action figure now, and he has put on that <laughs> muscle in, in Tommy Moffitt's program. So I think you know that really matters because that is literally why he didn't see the field last year. So. That's big, and then I'd be you know remiss if I don't mention you know a story that I have up Sunday, um, up yesterday. It's a heartbreaking story, really, but also I guess a powerful one. That I mean, the Emory family's had just like a hell of a year. I mean, they. Oh, I didn't know that. I, I haven't <laughs> read it yet. No, you're fine. Yeah, so pretty much. I mean, I wrote about it even when I was writing about COVID more and back in April, but. Basically, first off, his his mother had it and had some pretty bad symptoms, but she was she's okay, but had pneumonia from it and whatnot. But his his stepfather, Webster Garrison, who is a minor league baseball coach with the Oakland A's, former star in New Orleans, and he, I mean, has been basically in a hospital for six months on a ventilator and had two strokes while in uh, in, the, in the hospital. Uh, his kidneys basically gave out. The left side of him is pretty much paralyzed, and uh, his his. His uh, Nikki Trudeau's mother, um, John's mother, actually married him like while he was in the hospital, so they could finally be married. And, and anyway, so and they've also lost. He lost his grandmother during this stretch to lung cancer. I believe they've had like three uncles get pretty ill. I mean, their, their family's just been wrecked from this. To say, John Emery also tested positive, but his symptoms were small. So anyway, so he has this amazing moment, right? And I I call the family Sunday, or thinking it's going to be this like you know them talking about this amazing moment, and it was. But basically, the mom was like. You know, Nikki, she basically said, I didn't get to watch the second half because Webster Garrison, who had just come home from the hospital on Tuesday last week, basically is on dialysis and had a really bad reaction on the dialysis Saturday. And his fever spiked. He was vomiting. And he had to get rushed to the ho- to the emergency Damn. room Saturday night. So it's just a, a terrible story. But also, I mean, it really, like, from, you know, talking to the family, I mean, I think John's day, considering everything that happened in the family – considering the day they had i think it was actually a huge like uplift for the family and he kind of dedicated everything to wow. to webster garrison so yeah just a a wild it's really time. sweet yeah. that makes, i mean just that's that makes me uh i i get very emotional nowadays and that makes yeah. me very emotional to think about him having that night through all of that that's uh that's um i call you the context king and a positive reason or in a positive way for the reason and that is awesome to know man it's you just never know what some of these guys are going through as they're trying to kind of, you know, like make their dreams come true. Um, I think what else is great about, about Emory is, you know, the better that he gets, uh, the more he becomes one of those great safety valves for the quarterback, right? Like the true. same way that, um, that, that, that Clyde was Joe's best friend offensively last year. It'll be a different bit of a different relationship. Cause I can see John actually taking the lead, uh, but like, yes, it, the, the more defensive resources that have to be committed to John Emery helps Miles Brennan. It's true. Um, and, and and so it was. So okay, offensively, that's pretty much it. It was a good game. Um, last thing I would mention is that uh, on Terrace Marshall's first touchdown, they had a formation that I really loved, and Ooh. I don't know how much they did this. Um, they could have happened all over the place, and it just stood out to me because it was a touchdown. But in the red zone, they had uh, both Terrace Marshall and Arik Gilbert lined up in the slot right next to each other with Arik on the inside. <laughs> it's just like, I mean, I don't know what you're supposed to do. It's a mismatch. And like, right, yeah. and like sure enough, Arik just sits down on this little like, like fake out in. But when he does that, the defense sucks up to him, and then Marshall's right behind. And it's a touchdown. It's just like. 
I mean, the, the, the red zone threat that those two could make up is fantastic. Oh, no, we have to mention this, Brody. Ooh. How about Jontre Kirkland? Yeah, wow. We were just going to switch him to DB. And look at him now, <laughs> dude, two touchdowns. And I know, uh, wasn't O like super pumped during the press conference today? He was, he was, because he's been like a team leader for this whole team for, I mean, two years, I feel like, and is just like one of the most well-liked guys in that locker room. So O was pretty psyched. Because, yeah, I mean, Kirkland's like that guy, like, he's a that guy all-star, as I always like to joke, because he's just a guy whose name's always just thrown out there, but it's always kind of aimlessly. But he's a guy who they always talk about how he's a scout team quarterback whenever they're playing a dual threat guy because he was a star quarterback at Lutcher. He is just one of those just really jumpy, shifty, awesome athletes, but like never figured out how to use him. He's not going to get slot time over Justin Jefferson, all these things. So to see him catch two touchdowns and also two very different touchdowns, right? One was his screen to him or a short pass, I should say, to him that you know he just took on his own, made several guys miss, and made a hell of a third long touchdown. And the other was the flea flicker you mentioned and the the deep ball in the in the back of the end zone. So he's really Which great, great awareness by him, excellent yeah. throw. But he did have to like Drag be the very, very conscious about where he was on the field, which is it was just a high high degree of skill catch. It's true. So yeah, I mean. I, I do stand by, like, I bet he's still, like, the fourth or fifth guy. You know, I don't like, I think this is going to be a, an offense where a different guy stands out every week. I really do. But because, you know, Dre Jenkins was the star of last week, you know. But, uh, I mean, that's just big because, one, it's giving you depth. Two, it's just a cool moment for a guy who's clearly one of the most liked guys on that team. And, and yeah, I think it's all about, you know, I was joking with Owen Brennan, Miles' dad, about, like, I'm like, hey, who does he, like, aside from Terrace, like, who's the guy he trusts most? And he, he said he's, like, probably racy, but he's, like, but first off, Racy Allen thinks really caught the ball much this season. He's got like two catches, I think, and and two like when when nine to ten There's guys. It's been are... like a couple big misses with Racy. Yeah. It's like every time he's going to Racy, it just goes wrong. But Racy's like wide open. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like he's like, but, and Owen even joked. He's like, I don't even know the answer because he throws to like ten guys every week. So maybe like I don't even know. So yeah, also ma- eleven different receivers caught yeah. a ball, which is a bit juiced up because you subbed guys. But even then, it's like nine. Oh yeah, it, so it matters. I mean, nice, nice spreading around because they are deep there. So um, we'll probably end with the offense there, and then I want to segue to something I'm fascinated to talk about because you know I'm glad you point out some of the formation stuff on offense because I rewatched pretty much exclusively from the defense for a story I'm writing tomorrow. I didn't really watch the offense again too closely, but defensively, I mean, my main takeaway from watching that game, aside from yes, it does help having Derek Stingley back and the, the secondary looked great, Elias Ricks looked great, but. My main takeaway was we're two weeks into the year now, and grand, they haven't faced an Alito line yet or anything like that. But I'm officially like on the verge of ready to say this defensive line is is genuinely really good, and I think Bo Pelini has actually achieved what Ed Ogeron wanted with that four man front attacking scheme. They look they look darn good so far. They do, they do. Um, I mean, and they and Glenn Logan say? hasn't even played yet. I mean, what can you say about Ollie Gay, dude? Uh, like, why, okay, here's a question. Why does he just look so much bigger than everybody <laughs> it, else on the field? It looks weirdly unfair. And that's not us, like, being, like, fanboys hyping him. It's just weird looking. Like, he just looks No, it looks like, like Little League code. stuff. Yeah. Like, where it's like the kid who hit puberty first, and he's just bigger than everybody else. It, it's so odd. He's like... That rare person where, like, I don't even know. And, you know, he's a big dude. He's like 6'6", but he looks even larger. It, it he just, looks longer. He looks bigger. Yes, he looks bigger It looks than like his size. strides are three times the step of any other player. <laughs> so, like, when he's chasing somebody, he catches up at a scary rate. No, it's, I mean, and again, like, I actually, like, really, I really do mean this one, even though it's the thing I've repeated this whole show, is, like, I really want to see him against, you know, a Florida. Because he, he, I mean, like, if I'm going to play devil's advocate and put it down a little bit, like, which I don't. I think he's the good. So to be clear on that, but like Both he is. Pro- are bad. 
he is probably the kind of player who is literally made to to take advantage of a weak line, you know, because like it's not even as much about technique and stuff. Probably he probably can just be more athletic. So there's, there's a chance that's the case, but I'm not. I still think uh, I will say I no, think he's I mean, just look, the goods. They, yeah, there, there, yeah, there is a chance. But one thing about <laughs> his pass rushes is, is that the technique is really solid. He's got great hand eye. Like like his hand slaps are all are very well timed. That's a very frenetic thing to be able to time it reminds me of kind of like you know on a much smaller scale like a pitcher and a hitter like it's it's very skill focused as opposed to just raw strength and so that that makes me feel i think positive moving into the bigger tests and and i i mean we have to go back to like because i think we always have to admit we're wrong which isn't an us being wrong thing it's an us being proven i guess given an answer because i think we spent so much of the summer being like defensive end we don't know if it's good or bad but it just looks like the biggest who the hell knows on this whole football team and we have our answer because so far it looks pretty darn solid which first off gay looks like a guy who like i'm not even exaggerating looks like a first round pick you know especially if he stays two years well well, well, that's that's what's funny it's like the only way i think you keep him you know just through two games whatever but the only way i think you keep him is if it is like one of those things where, okay, maybe he's like a second or third round by the end, but if he came back, then he could be like a first round, maybe like a top 10 guy. Exactly. Like yeah. that feels like his trajectory right now. Exactly. So then he looks like a superstar right now. Andre Anthony has been, in my review, I would give him like a, what, a B plus. He's been pretty good. Dude, he played me. really, he was yeah. all over the field he the knocked, other night. Yeah, he looked he good. He's good in three. He's, he's knocked down passes, I believe, both games. He's getting a consistent rush, even though he's not necessarily getting sacks. I feel like he's creating a little bit of havoc. He's actually, I saw a few run stuffs when I was rewatching the game, or at least just kind of taking away some gaps. I mean, he looked yeah. he looked good to me. Uh, haven't been too impressed with Trevez Moore, but BJ Ojolari has looked exactly kind of what we expected, where he, he hasn't done anything highlight level yet. He doesn't look like a superstar, but he, you're seeing him consistently make life really difficult for teams. Like he's blowing a guy into the backfield. He's he's getting rushed, but they get it off. Like he's a he's a plus for sure. So defensive yeah, so end. Well, well, let me jump in real quick because yeah. I, for all of our listeners, I'm just trying to think. Like we're so used to these names, but this is stuff that even I had trouble with. Okay, so yeah, Andre sure. Anthony is number three now. Ooh, okay, fair. Yeah. Um, Bj Ujolari is number eight. Correct. So when you see number eight back there making plays, uh, Ali Gay is number 11. Granted, if you're listening to this, you probably know that by now. Um, I'm trying to think about the other numbers. And then I mean, Trevez well, Moore's could, 49. So that's pretty yes, much the DMs Trevez right Moore's there. 49. Yes, exactly. I mean, but that's how unknown that. they were. I mean, that's how unknown they were, right? It's like... Yeah. And the no, 3 and 8 I, I, can I, be I, tough on a, on a TV. Like I'm like, wait, is that <laughs> is that which one is that? Yeah. I will say uh, I'm actually... I, I, I don't know why. I was not buying the Ujulari hype. I Ooh. thought it was a lot of... Um, I thought it was a lot of like we're just going to try to make this position group sound stronger than it is. So okay. watching him actually go out there and kick ass, I've been like, okay, I was wrong. Yeah. Uh, it's so wild that him and Dariq Gilbert both came from the same from Marietta High School in Georgia. Yes. No, I mean that and team now, had like they, that senior class alone. I think had like six Power Five kids and I think like damn. nine. D1, like FCS, FBS kids. It's wild. But I mean, they are like those two are like two of your main players this year. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. so, and that is one thing that stood out this game and why this season will be very volatile and why there's going to be really big highs and really big lows and why I still think you're going to lose some of these big games but beat a lot of teams you should beat or maybe all of them is it's, this is a very young team. This is a team that is going to get a lot of. Uh, great learning lessons and experience this year, which is going to come with pain along the way. But like the 
the long-term future of this team, two to three years out, looks yeah. pretty spectacular uh, when you look at how some of this young talent has played early on. No, I'm actually really glad you said that, and and you know me, I'm not. I, I mean, I don't think I have a reputation as like a like an Ocheron can do no wrong kind of guy. I don't think I, no, am. I criticize him a good amount, and. But, you know, I've gotten, like, a weird amount of messages, and under, like, in the last, like, you know, 10 days from, like, you know, friends, sports writer, buddies, stuff like that, just being like, wow, like, you know, LSU, like, LSU's going to regret giving Ed that big contract right away and stuff like that. And, like, this is all going to fall <laughs> apart. And, by the way, I understand criticism because Ed Ogeron did not have a good summer. You know, like, he didn't. And, no, and, hell no. And, and, we, we talked about it on here. Yeah, he didn't have a good summer, and then you lose to Mississippi State. So, yeah, I mean, not a great few months for him. But... I do think it's all a little silly because, like, first off, you lost 19 guys. This is always going to be a weird year. And also, I, I, I put this when I was answering a question in a, a little preview thing we did last week where it was like, it was like, do I think Alabama, LSU's in the reload thing? And I said, not yet, but he's like one class away because LSU does still have, you know, like the 2018 class was just okay. You know, it wasn't a great class, but I think by next year, you're going to have a roster that's pretty much three to four classes deep of like all top five classes, yeah. top to bottom depth, where it's like, oh, you really should be deep everywhere. So they're about to be there. I think this freshman class looks really good. I think the sophomore class is actually going to go down as like one of the better. Losing Brooks hurts, but that's like an elite class, I think. So yeah, yeah. Anyway, so that's just a weird tangent I wanted to say. But um, last thing, because we're this, this all segues really good into our last segment. But before we move into that, I just want to finish with the D line, which is that I've actually loved, especially on the rewatch. Joseph Evans looked really darn good to me. And, he did, dude. And I mean, then then you have Apu Aikas looked good. He had a sack. He's he was blowing. I guys love up. when Apu Aikas makes plays, dude. He's it's the so best. fucking big, dude. And, but he's so he's quick. So it doesn't big. make sense. No, I know. His feet. And, but when he when he tackles someone, dude, he just like swallows him <laughs> up. And then uh, Jaquel and Roy had you know some like some you know he got just a few mistakes, but also had two really nice pressures. I saw, so he looks ready to go. And all of this is to say, and also Neil Farrell looks solid, and he's still getting in shape. And then Neil Glenn Logan, a three-year starter, still isn't, it comes back this week. So I'm at a point now where I'm like, okay, this D-line, even without Shelvin, just looks like really good. Defensive ends have been better than I thought it would be. And honestly, well, we'll I don't even know how much we want to get into this, but now with Ed Ingram questionable, Ojean made a joke that Joseph Evans might go back to offensive guard, which I don't even know if he was being serious. So we'll have to look into. No, that. I don't think I cannot. I mean, well, I mean, I guess it would be a freshman, so maybe. But yeah, oh boy, that would be shocking me. That I'd would be, be shocked. really badass. So if you're Joseph Evans, I mean, that would be a great trivia question because <laughs> I don't know when the last time somebody would log starts at. D tackle one week and then O line the it's, next no, week would be. And I have a feature coming out of him, I think, Wednesday <laughs> or Thursday, so I'll plug that. But anyway, so yeah, D line looks great. All right, let's get to uh, our last segment. Wait, hold on. Last oh, thing ooh, on the defense. Love, yeah. One more note. Um, uh, I really love watching Jabril Cox play. That dude's all over the yeah, field. He glides. Um, he is so fast, side to side. He's incredible. And I want to see more out of Damone Clark. Um, he hasn't been terrible, but he hasn't been impactful either. Which is maybe an unfair expectation, but I think when you give the number eighteen, it brings with it a whole, you know, a bevy of expectation. And uh, and so he's still a really young player. That's fair. And this is a huge role jump for him. And so let's see his development through the season. But the the other thing about linebackers is that both these offenses you played haven't necessarily um, given them the most chance to like you know to really shine out. Yeah, I'm gonna. So now I'm asking this like in a sincere question way, like. Has your takeaway been that he's like made mistakes and missed chances, or are you just like surprised he hasn't been more involved? 
No, I think uh, we'll probably both. Like, there's some times where I think his reads have been a little off. Okay. Or, like, yeah. a little passive. Like, it looks like he's thinking a little more than maybe just, like, like attacking as much as, like, a Jabril Cox is. And mm-hmm. it's an experience thing, I, I, I think. So, I, I think that'll improve. Or we'll just watch it. Let's just watch and see if it improves. And then finally, uh, I thought it was a, a very judicious blitzing game from Pelini, recognizing that they could get pressure with four and uh, rarely bringing extra bodies except when they really wanted and that to. And was, that was their big adjustment in the second half because the first half they still blitzed a decent amount. And the second half after they got run on a good amount, that's when they really went like just four man, and that's when they kind of stopped it. So it's yeah. a good call. All right. Uh, final topic of the day. It's a crazy football season. People are winning and losing all over the place. LSU loses to Mississippi State. Mississippi State then goes the bandwagon. It's everything is good. Life is good. Mike Leach is here. They learned the lesson all too soon. Mike Leach giveth and Mike Leach taketh away. Or you know what? Sam Pittman taketh nice. away. Yes, sir. The Hogs. Pig Suey beat Mississippi State 21-14 and drive home a horrifying lesson about how unbelievably poor LSU's defensive game plan was, which actually makes me scared for the rest of the season yeah. because from a game planning standpoint, it's borderline inexplicable. Yeah, no, I mean, that's actually... I mean, okay, okay, yes, I think the, the adjustments thing, I think we officially should be like, that was actually a problem because... Especially everything we've heard, like from Nebraska Twitter, I feel like in the last ten days and all that, that is a real concern. That it was such an obvious thing and they didn't do it. And Ojan even repeated that today that they should have played more zone. So that's not good at all. But um, I don't even have much more to say on that. We've belabored that point. But the Mississippi I agree, State, I thing, agree. I'm just saying you cannot talk about Mississippi State, Arkansas, and not oh and sorry, not, yeah, and and not and not draw that lesson. I no, mean, you're, I, you're absolutely yeah. right. And by the way, shout out Barry Odom, uh, defensive coordinator of Arkansas, who just got fired as Mizzou yes, head coach last year. Because two weeks in a row, because he held AM to what, like 17 last week? So mm-hmm. a nice little day for him. Um, my takeaway from this weekend is honestly just that, and it was my takeaway last weekend, and now it's like really confirmed, is we just need to go into this season knowing it's just going to be freaking weird. It just is. There's just going to be a lot of yeah, nonsense games. Yeah, it's. I mean, I think football is a sport where a team can look amazing one week and bad the next, and that's kind of why I love it. But this year more than ever, where I think, you know, for example, I'm trying to think of another great example. But yeah, sometimes like I just think weird shit's going to happen. I think LSU, just look at the Big Twelve. I mean, yeah, which <laughs> is why look, like look at the entirety of the Big Twelve. Thank look you. At, yeah. Leach and Kiffin pulling off stuff. Uh, Iowa I mean, State loses to UL, but then actually looks awesome the next two weeks. I, th- or, I think there's some like trends emerging in both college and the NFL about like road dogs just doing way better. I mean, yep. no home crowds is affecting things probably even more in college than anywhere else because I think it's a way bigger advantage in college than it even is in the NFL. But yeah, no, I mean, and I think the, it's the most parody the, there's ever yes. been in football because, like, because I mean, I remember talking to Tulane AD Troy Dannon, you know, uh, back when I did a story on them in August, and he said something I think was just so smart, and he's not the first person to say it, but he was just like, "This is where we catch up." He's like, "We have so many disadvantages as a program across the conference, across college football. There's so many things that make us just inherently like set up to not be as good as other teams, and this is where we catch up." Now, now you're gonna find out who does things the right way. You know, because all of these factors that make teams better are kind of reduced. Recruiting is going to be different than ever, and you're going. To, this is where you find out who actually knows how to evaluate, and this is where you find out what programs do the right things during the pandemic. All that, 
And I think there's something really smart about that, that this is really, like, there's so much parody in college football right now because of the things that, like, talent isn't just going to do it now because you need all these other things. Um, go on, Yeah, sorry. there is parody, except for uh, Alabama. Um, God, so, so, then the, so, that, so then, okay, so then the question becomes, you look at the SEC. It's in such a weird year. The Mississippi State-Arkansas-LSU triangle just drove everything home. Uh, you got Lane Kiffin winning big games here in week two. Uh, Georgia dominating Auburn. And the question becomes, right now, who is the second best team in the SEC West? Obviously, Alabama's first. Who's next? Okay, so I think I have my answer. And I actually, it's an opinion I don't want to have. So, like, hear me out. I don't want to say this. I hate myself for saying this because I talked so long about how this team is going to be good and they lost 52-24 to to Bama. And I understand. Like, I really wanted to come into this week being like, I'm wrong and I'm ready to, like, say no to them. But... Honestly, no part of that blowout loss made me think A&M's bad. I don't know about you. I left that game just thinking Alabama is just unreal. And I really – that's my takeaway. I'm probably going to be I wrong. I think when combined with the Arkansas performance, though, you know, granted, look, yeah. you pointed out a good – I mean, look what Arkansas's defense went on to do. No, but you're right. Yeah. Uh, but when combined with the Arkansas performance, that's where I arrive at. A&M is not looking as good as I expected. That's – yeah. I think Alabama against them. Even though I would have liked to see a little more life – they, 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 yeah. Alabama does that to AM literally every single year. Like that exact same script, I feel like, has played on repeat for the last four to five years. So. No, you're 100% right. So I'm not, like I said, I don't want to say this and I'm not confident, but gun to my head, I kind of think I go AM two. And then LSU just like right, like it inches behind that at three is kind of how I feel right now. Um, and then. I mean, Auburn just looks does not look very good right now. They didn't look particularly good against Kentucky. They don't. They looked awful on Saturday. Granted, yeah, those are two legitimately bad. challenging games, but still, they don't look good at all to me. But by default, I think they're still four. I just think you know, still their talent's too good. And then I go. I mean, Ole Miss just looks exciting and fun and good. So I kind of like. They even gave Florida a hard time for half. So then you go there. So what about you? Uh, if you're enjoying this SEC talk, make sure to check out Football and Grits, the Athletics SEC podcast. Screwed it up. It took me 40 minutes. We did it again. Yeah, maybe we'll get uh, it soon. Yeah, yeah. We're probably uh, the only people really plugging them, though, so give ourselves look, credit. Look, I, 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 I think that uh, – okay, well, a little, little softer there, family. Uh, I, I think that um, if I had to go – I mean, I hate this because I think it's chalky, but I just – I think I, I think I still feel like it's LSU, just because it's not I feel chalky. like game, they lost to Mississippi State. Yeah, oh, I know, but I mean, games one's problems are just so coaching based. Even with the personnel deficits of everybody leaving and no Derek Stingley, it was still ultimately to me, and and, and like coaching things should, in theory, when it's that drastic, be the most fixable. I feel like, and you saw some nice fixes this week. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I I still think it's 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 LSU. I have no problem, uh, but with it that. is crazy that it's just like this weird kind of muddy question where uh way muddier than you thought it would be thus far uh finally brody yeah the fun one is the sec east better than the sec west i love this question so much and it's like the kind of like radio talk question that we don't do enough on this show but uh, i really want to say yes but i say no because my takeaway from the first two weeks is actually that like the depth in the west is actually pretty interesting 
you know, Ole Miss looks like they can be yeah. a real challenger. They just beat Kentucky, which should be the third or fourth best team in the East. Uh, yeah. Arkansas obviously just looks like they're feistier than they should be. Mississippi State beat LSU. So I, I, I think that, you know, I'm very – I'm less confident in the two through four than I've literally ever been in the West. But I still like – there's literally no team in the West that I'm sure is bad. While, I mean, I look at the East. I love Florida right now. They look fantastic. Georgia, I mean – there's a reason they were like at, the remember, East like, is more top heavy. The East has two elites, yeah, and then Tennessee's an interesting third. Tennessee's the West really has yeah. the West has one elite, and uh, then it's just kind of a muddy mix, <laughs> like, like we it's just true. kind of talked about. I think the game. So there will be two game. There will be uh, two games that'll answer this question. I'm looking at Tennessee's schedule right yeah. now. Um, you know Alabama's going to murder them, so that doesn't matter. That doesn't come into play. They are playing Texas A&M November 14th, That's and big. then they're playing Auburn on the 21st. So back-to-back weeks. Ultimately, I think those two Tennessee games will decide who is the better conference. Ooh, you think so? Okay, but then okay, let's look at Kentucky's schedule coming up. They have Mississippi State this week. That's actually going to be like a relative tell. That's a big one. That's a good one. And That's then, a good one to try to judge. And then, unfortunately, there's no other really good – Kentucky crossover games because that's really their only other crossover is Bama so that's a bummer I just think Tennessee's the big piece because if you oh no I know what you mean three, yeah, you're I right. don't care about how good your one is yeah I yeah no I think I don't know. um also oh, never mind I'm not even gonna say it South Carolina has not looked bad to me through two weeks which, <laughs> I know I'm, I, my answer is actually the West is better I'm actually like still ready to say that but like, I'm sorry. Like South Carolina has played two pretty good teams to start the year, and they haven't looked bad in either. I'm sorry. Um, but I'm not saying How about keep- that. Will Muschamp clock management? Yeah, that was. I mean, that was some like. Am I wrong? Was that like a hey? I'm trying to cover for my boosters moment because the spread yes, was 15 dude. to 17. I don't think South Carolina ever thought they had a chance. I feel like they were just like, all right, this is good practice. Let's try to like finish strong. They were going so and let's cover slow for my boosters, methodical. baby, or maybe cover for him. Who knows? Um, yeah, I, I just. Oh wow, okay, yeah, yeah, dude. If you want to, I mean, look, I'm just saying, fire him. If you want to go on like the must champ is throwing games gambling angle, I'll, I'll follow you down that path, dude. dude our yeah. podcast, I like to get weird the last five minutes. That's my rule. Um, <laughs> HTPP after dark. Um, so anyway, yeah, but I, I just want to end by saying I actually like I can't wait to see them play a real team because Tennessee looks like it's got some dudes. It is a physical, strong football team. Their O line is awesome. You would love watching them more because like that is some beautiful physical O line play. They got some dudes. I don't know if they're a cohesive team yet. They look good though. I'm excited to watch them play some of those big games you mentioned. Well, they got a big one this week, bro. Yep, taking on Georgia. Between the hedges God, Georgia looks at two thirty, and Georgia may actually have home field advantage because, like, I don't know, everybody just gets to go to the game and just sit together. Um, if you, if you looked at last week, speaking of uh, last note here, this just broke during the pod. It looks like LSU is uh, going to enter the news cycle as uh, they have announced some new COVID policy for game dates. The CDC wellness, CDC medical wellness checks will not. Be required for entry to Tiger Stadium. You still have to wear a mask when you're in there, when you're in the stands. But uh, you no longer have to get, like, your temperature taken, I guess. Yes, pretty much. Um, and an LSU spokesperson told me the reasoning was to increase speed of entry and reduce, like, chokeholds in the lines, which uh, I don't even – I'm not, like, putting my take on here or anything like that. I'm actually not going to, like, say anything strong here. It's more just, like, 
you knew, considering the reaction it's getting right now, and to put it very mildly, this is blowing the hell up right now, and they're just getting shit on. And, yeah, I mean, just you just factor in, like, the PR hit you're taking just for some longer lines or some people being annoyed they have to get their temperature taken. It seems like a foolish mistake to me. I'm not even getting into, like... Well, yeah. it's, 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 it's odd, though, because it will be split nationally and locally, won't it? Like Oh, absolutely will. Politically, nationally, there's going to be blowback, but locally, uh, I think most are going to support it. And then you get into the thing that, that bars is, aren't even allowed to be open right now. Well, I thought that I think they got lifted because people have been bar hopping like crazy over here. I thought it was uh, they can finally do to go drinks again. Oh, okay, maybe that's it. I just heard that people are now like crazy. Yeah, um, no, no, they are. But like, basically, you haven't been able to have like bars open in a normal way, but you can have twenty five thousand people in a stadium drinking. But anyway, um. Yeah, I mean, look, the 25K, they're still social distancing. You're still wearing masks uh, in the stadium. But, um, yeah, I don't know, man. I mean, <laughs> I don't know either. Like, I really want to make that clear. I have no clue. I'm just talking out loud. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, I mean, my, my point is I, I know how I feel about stuff. Um, you know, I believe that you just do these simple things to try to help protect people. Exactly. Um, but I'm so sick of getting yelled at for that. And I just don't care to fight with anybody anymore, and I'm so down on humanity in general. Highlight of my week last week was uh, you tweeting something. I'm not going to be in the stadium, so whatever. The highlight of my entire week last week was you tweeting just some, like, aimless joke about, like, Sean Payton wearing a mask and, uh... Our, our our friend Matt Moscona, who has strong takes on this quote, <laughs> and, like, and you're just like, I forget what your meme was, but you're just like, hey man, I was just trying to make a joke. Like yeah, I have no, like, I don't want to go anywhere like, near that. You mean the thing that's fake and doesn't exist? I was like, okay, we're just we're just goofing over here. Yeah, we're having fun here. All right, everybody relax. So uh, yeah, I mean, and and then the other thing is like, yes, like there will be blowback nationally, which will then create support though nationally as well, just from a different political faction. So like. Whatever this, you know what this is going to be. This is all going to be just a whole lot of yelling on the internet, which it always is. And then hopefully there's no actual, um, you know, negative outbreaks or anything tied to Tiger Stadium. But yeah, hopefully all this will reveal itself with time. Uh, that'll do for this. Hold on. that podcast. Podcast. Um, Maybe we should. Uh, you know what? I, I I got some ideas for football season going forward. Um, but because. Uh, Whatever, we'll talk about all fair Brody. I think maybe we do like a little game preview, short game preview later in the week. We'll figure it out. I would love that. Yeah. Uh, just because we never really look forward. We just look back. But it's Monday. We just got game two. As you can tell, my kids are home. So I got to roll. Um, uh, rate, review the pod. That helps us a lot. Share with your friends. That helps us a ton. Um, it all helps us if you go to theathletic.com slash hold that podcast. Get incredible sign-up deals. Listen to Football and Grits. Buy your Meat Today Bear specialty meats. And um, that's it. That's it. So, uh, everybody, Brody, anything to add before we go out here? Beautifully said, man. Okay. All right, Allison, come and girl. I got you. Okay, you all have a great day. This is Hold That Podcast Podcast. We will see you next week. Mm-hmm.